Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions, and thank you again for our time together. What a privilege to sit down with you every morning and share the Word in a short time of prayer and spend some time in worship. And brothers and sisters, we get to see each other again this weekend. Well, at least 10% capacity, I understand. But hey, it's the beginning, all right? So I'll say this several times during the broadcast this morning. We'll be Friday night service. I'll preach the same sermon that I'm going to preach on Saturday and Sunday. Kaya, we spread the congregation out. We'll do the Friday night service. We'll do a Saturday night service. We'll do a Saturday morning drive-in at South and at Main, 7.30 and 9.30. I'll be preaching both of those. Then I'll be preaching the Saturday night service. Then our campus pastors will be preaching at 7.30 on Sunday. I'll preach at 10 o'clock. Campus pastors will preach at 12.30, and I'll preach again at 3 o'clock. And we're going to have a wonderful time beginning to get together again. So, again, please remember... We had to follow the protocols, the foot bath, the temperature, the contact tracing. Remember all those things, the face mask. And please, we're going to let it slide a little bit this week. But by next week, we're going to ask that everybody have face mask also. Uh, now, the best face mask to use is the one that looks like glasses. They're very cheap uh, and they work really well. And ladies, they don't mess up your hair and they don't hurt the sides of your head. And so by next week, let's try to make sure everybody has on a face mask also. We want to do church, but we want to be safe in Jesus' name. All right, one of our young people has Psalms 91 for us. Psalms 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that breathes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near to your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the other. The young lion and the serpent will trample under foot. Because you hold fast to me in love, I will deliver him, I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him, I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him, with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. As we go to prayer today, I really want us to spend some more time in prayer for the frontliners. We've been praying for the business people, and yes, I am very concerned about the economy for next year. Um, very concerned. Uh, you can't shut down a nation like we've shut down a nation and shut down a city like we've shut down a city and there not be repercussions. Um, so we need to be praying every day for the economy, but also we need to be praying every day for the frontliners. Sometimes when you pray for something every day, before long you begin to take those people for granted. At first you're very concerned and then you're not concerned. But these frontliners are still fighting the fight every day and dealing with more of it. Yes, they've gotten better at it and they've, they've learned what works and what doesn't work. Yes, yes, yes. But there's still 
putting in 36-hour shifts. Father, we come to you today. We ask for all the frontliners, Lord, all especially those that work in the hospitals. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you'd keep your gracious hand upon them. Father, give them strength in their body and give them strength in their soul to face all the things that they've been facing. And Father, we ask that you'd keep them safe. Those are our children, Lord. Those are the young people of the church. And you look at them and you can't even believe they're doctors and doctors, but they are. Father, you've given them great abilities. You've given them great talents. You've given them great strength of will, strength in their soul to finish all the exams and board exams. And God, you've done so much for them. Now we ask for your keeping grace. Let the keeping grace be upon them like a beautiful umbrella. No sickness, no disease shall come near them in the name of Jesus. The angels will guard them in all of their ways, and they won't bring anything home to their families. Father, we also pray for the frontliners that nobody thinks about, the people that sell us food every day, people that work in the grocery stores, the people that, that drive the jeepneys and drive the tricycles again and the pedicabs. Father, these people are just as much at risk as those in the hospitals. We pray, Lord, that you keep them safe. We pray for all the Lalamove guys and all the Grab guys out delivering food on their motorcycles. They're working so hard. Father, keep your gracious hand upon them. Father, when we look upon this horrible pestilence, it's, it's difficult for us to understand the fear that is in people's hearts. But Father, we recognize this is a spiritual force. It's not just a biological thing. There's something spiritual happening here. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name for mercy. I ask for mercy, Lord. Lord, I ask that you just step in and overrule all the work of the devil and let this thing end. And let this fear be broken off of our government officials and this fear be broken off of our society. Father, let our nation be the first nation that comes back. Father, we stand up and claim that we are a Christian nation. Let that, let that light shine. Let that light shine. Let our nation be the first nation that comes back in Jesus' name. And Lord, that we see your hand of blessing upon us. And Father, I pray for all of us as believers. Lord, in Jesus' name, we ask for your face to shine upon us. We ask for your favor to flow to us, that all the nations can see, that all the unsaved people around us can see the difference. They can see the reality of God in our lives. Lord, our Savior prayed, glorify yourself. We pray, glorify yourself in our lives. Bring glory and honor to your name. Break the fear off of every believer's life. Let sovereign blessings flow to their lives. Let sovereign blessings flow to their businesses and all they set their hand to do. Father, in the name of Jesus, let it flow. Let prosperity flow. Let strength and healing flow. Let protection flow. Let the favor of God flow to our lives, Lord, that you will receive the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts and spend some time now in worship. Everlasting love, your mercy is as new as 
just a few minutes, Sister Bev will pick back up with Isaiah, and I'm having so much fun teasing her, Shh. because she was always after me, you're going too long, you're going too long, you're going too long, and she's having so much trouble fitting her, her section in too, so I'm, I'm having a good time teasing her, because Isaiah is an awesome book, so Sister Bev will be with you in just a minute, but first, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 3. 
Now, now listen, listen to Paul talk here. He said, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is something that every pastor, every spiritual leader, every connect group leader strives for. And I would not say that we do as good a job as Paul. But listen to Paul. He said, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. Now, I did not say that there aren't going to be things that we do that are stumbling blocks in people's lives, because there will be, because, you know, some people stumble at, at healing. Some people stumble at speaking in tongues. They stumble at the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, yeah, we understand that. And some people stumble because, forgive me, they're in sin and they don't like it when you stand up and preach righteousness. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul says, I've lived a life that put no obstacle. He said, now, as for me, I did not put anything in anybody's way that would hinder their walk with God. Wow. He said, I put nothing in anybody's way that would be an obstacle to them following Jesus. He said, I put nothing theologically in front of them that would be an obstacle to them following Jesus. He said, my lifestyle put nothing in front of people that would be an obstacle to them following Jesus. You know, this, is, this picks up on what he said, I became all things to all men so that by some means I could win all. Okay, I mean, you know, at some point... We have to realize in the ministry that we are servants of the people. And we have to really try as best as we can never to put an obstacle, something that would hinder people from following Jesus. We don't want to put any barricades in the way. He said, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. No fault found with our ministry. Oh, grave, I look at that and I go, Paul, I got a long ways to go. No fault may be found with our ministry. It's amazing. He said, but as servants of God, he said, now th this is who I am. Okay, this is who I am. This is my identity. Now, I don't write this sloppy in my Bible, all right? I put everything in the margin over here in my Bible. But here on the big screen, I'm trying to teach you. We commend ourselves in every way. And now Paul begins to list true ways. He said, now this is how we commend ourselves as spiritual leaders. We don't commend ourselves with money and fame and advertising and marketing. He said, let me, let me tell you, he said, we don't have celebrities endorsement. Okay. I just I'm so tired of celebrity endorsement. He said, let me tell you how we commend ourselves, how we, we lay ourselves out and say, you should listen to us because he said, number one, great endurance. He said, I'm not laying around in my swimming pool, speaking in other tongues, sitting on a yacht, you know, reading a book while I should be out working, helping the people during COVID. He said, great endurance. He said, in afflictions. He said, you know what? Sometimes serving God is hard. Hardships. Beatings. <laughs> no, okay, I haven't been beat yet. Well, maybe verbally once or twice. Well, maybe more than once or twice. Imprisonments. Riots. I don't think I've ever caused a riot. Labors. Sleepless nights. Hunger. Purity. Knowledge. 
patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, the power of God, the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander <laughs> and praise, we are treated as impostors, and yet we are true, as unknown. Now, we'll come back to this in a minute. As unknown. Yet well known. As dying. Yet behold we live. As punished. Yet not killed. As sorrowful. Yet always rejoicing. As poor. Yet many making many rich. As having nothing. Yet possessing everything. Wow. Just say wow. He said, you want to know how to recognize a true man or woman of God. All right, you recognize it by their great endurance, by their afflictions, hardships that they go through. They don't, they don't run away when, when times get hard. They don't leave the country because of COVID-19. They stay there. They keep working hard. Beatings, maybe verbal, maybe physical. Imprisonments, riots. You know, these are the things in Corinth that would discredit a preacher. See, the super apostles never went through all of this. They're so perfect and everybody loves them. Paul said, no, excuse me. Excuse me. He said, this is how you recognize a real man of God. Labors, hard work. Sleepless nights. Hunger. Purity, knowledge, you know, purity. What does it happen with the ministry today where pastors are, you know, you know, please help me. You know, I had hard times in my earlier life and that's the reason that I'm so sinful and I've committed adultery and everybody pray for me while I get the help that I so richly deserve. This, this victim, this wounded shepherd thing. I, I'm sorry, I just, ah. Purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, power of God, weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor. Preachers are going to be dishonored. Slandered. You know, these preachers. Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. You know, when, when somebody's only speaking well of a preacher, be careful. They, they got a great marketing campaign, but they're not real. Praise. Oh, the true test of a man I once read is, how does he act when he's praised? Treated as imposters. Can you imagine Paul treated as an imposter? Paul treated like a false prophet. Wow. Yet we are true. He said, it doesn't matter how people treat me. I know who I am. Unknown. He said, everybody said, who's he? Nothing. These apostles, these super apostles, they're great at their marketing. He said, yet well known. Dying, yet behold, we live. Punished, yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Paul said, you know what? I may not have as much as those super apostles have, but I've made you rich. <laughs> See, the goal of a preacher is not how much money can he get from you. 
is how much prosperity can he see flow to you. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. He said, we've spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. Now, this is a big deal. You are not restricted by us, but you, have re you are restricted in your own affections. Now, another translation says, I've open heart my wide. Do you know you open heart your wide to me? Paul said, I'm not restricting your heart. He said, but you're restricted by your own affections. Now, brothers and sisters, this is your heart towards leaders. Now, I've been doing this long enough that I can tell you straight up, I can tell you when somebody has their heart open to me and when somebody has closed their heart to me. And I have sat down with people and worked with them and their heart was open and they were growing in God and they would listen when I shared with them the word of God. And then I've sat down with people and they look you straight in the face and something has changed. And it's not on the outside, it's on the inside. They've decided to stop loving you. They've decided to stop opening their heart to you. And when that decision is made, as a leader, there's nothing more you can do in their life. Their heart is closed. So he said, Corinthians, I know you've got all this patronage. I know you've got all these super apostles competing for your attention. But he said, well, you, you know what? I've opened my heart wide to you. Open your heart wide to me. In return, I speak as children. Widen your hearts also. He said, listen, open up your attitudes to me. Open up your emotions to me. As a leader, I can't do anything until you open your heart. And now he gets straight. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, young people, straight up, don't open your heart to an unbeliever. Because once you get your emotions in there, it's really hard to back up. He said, now listen, you have nothing in common with these people. So before you open your heart and get yourself all emotionally involved, understand you, you have no partnership with these people and you have no fellowship. You have nothing in common with these people. What accord, what kind of a agreement does Christ have with Balal, a demon? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. You're God's temple. What, what agreement does, your, does the temple of God, that's who you are, have with, with demons? Now, I'm a funny person. When I've traveled around the world, people have asked me to go look at demon temples in Singapore. Uh, they've asked me to go look at demon temples in India. They've asked me to go look at demon temples here in Manila, demon temples in Hong Kong. And you know what? I don't ever go. I, I'm not interested. My body is the temple of God. There is no agreement. To me, it is not a tourism thing to go look at a demonic temple. Well, even an ancient one. There, there's nothing in me that wants to go and, and, and see that type of thing. Okay? That is not tourism. Now, again, I'm the kind of a guy, I've been to a church someplace here in the world that um, has a lot of demonic idolatry stuff as part of their museum. And I don't even want to look at it. You see, folks, at some point you have to understand who you are.
God lives in you. You are, you're not just the Ark of the Covenant. You are the temple of God. God lives in you. And I said, I will make my dwelling among them. I like that. Walk among them. So God dwells among us. God walks among us. And he said, I will be their God, their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, go out of their midst. Be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. Now, now Christians don't like to talk about this concept of separation today, but we do lead separated lives. Yes, we, we know unsaved people, and we have dinner with unsaved people, yes. But we're not in partnership with them, and we're not in, in close, intimate relations with them, and we're not, you know, courting them or being courted by them. Because we are a separate people. He said, then I will welcome you. Now, do you want welcoming? Do you want God to welcome you? Then learn to live a separate life. Go out of their midst. You're not going to be alone. And this is a big thing that we just, we just need to focus on. Because young people, you think, you know, if, if I do this, I won't have any friends. Yes, you will. Then I will welcome you. God said, you walk away from all this sinfulness of the world and come hang out with me. God said, I will welcome you. You will not be alone. And you'll have a lot of other people around you too, by the way. And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now notice, plural, sons and daughters. You're going to have company. You're going to be gathered together with a group of people that do live separated lives. They have left this, not the sinfulness of this world and they, they don't want to live like that. I don't hang out in clubs. I don't go hang out where there's idolatry. I don't go hang out where people don't dress properly. I don't go hang out where people are singing songs that, you know, forgive me, are sex and pleasure. And I, I don't hang out in places like that. I want to come out and be separate because then God welcomes me. Ah, and I have this intimate relationship of a father with him. And I have friends because there are other sons and daughters hanging around also. So young people, please, you're not going to be alone. You're not giving up friends. You're giving up pain. You're walking away from future pain and suffering. And you're coming into a relationship with, with God and with people around God where there's friendship. There's real friendship. Now notice, you're coming to God and the people that hang out with God. So there's going to be relationships. So there's separation from the world doesn't mean isolation. It means you've got a group of people around you that are, are friends. Now, again, since the time I got saved, my, my grandpa taught me these things. And from the time I got saved, I mean, there have been people that have been upset with me about how I believe about these things. But you know what? I'm still standing. And those people that I've watched make fun of me since I, <laughs> since I was 18 years old, you know what? They're not standing anymore. I think of the preachers that have made fun of me. Come on, we're going to go downstairs. I said, no, the restaurants are closed. He said, oh, the bar is still open. We'll go hang out in the bar. I said, no, I don't hang out in bars. He said, I did that before I got saved. Now, now brothers and sisters, those people that used to make fun of me, they're not still standing. I'm still here. 
I make no claims of perfection, but I'm still following Jesus, and I'm still in love with Jesus. Now, young people, I know stepping away from some people that you've known for many years is difficult, but remember who you are. Remember who you are. Get a hold of that. Get a hold of who you are. Sit down and get a hold of who you are. Chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, what are these promises? These promises are right here. I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me. Since we have these promises. Wow. Here's another promise, verse 16. I'll dwell among them and walk with them. Since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves. This is a decision. From every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear or the respect of God. Holding this to completion. You see, there's a part of this sanctification process that is a work of the Holy Spirit. And then there's a part of this sanctification process that are decisions that we make. We cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body. We cleanse ourselves from it. We cleanse ourselves from everything that defiles the spirit. We, we wash that stuff away from our lives. You say, well, Pastor, how do we wash that stuff away from our lives? By the word. A young man came to me one day. He said, Pastor Summerall, I got saved about six months ago. He said, and Pastor, honestly, I have not looked at any pornography in six months. But he said, Pastor, before that, I was looking at it all the time. And he said, Pastor, I've got this stuff in my head. How do I get this stuff out of my head? I said, well, let me tell you what my grandpa taught me as a young man, because I grew up around this stuff too. I said, Grandpa taught me, you wash your brain. You wash yourself with the washing of the water of the word. I said, there's two things that you do. I said, you just come into the presence of God and ask for the Holy Ghost to flow in your life. There's the water. But the scrub brush, how does a man keep his way pure? According to the word, the Bible says. Now, there's the scrub brush. Now, if you will sit down and just start spending hours. Now, young people, forgive me, but you're still locked down right now, okay? Spend hours reading the Bible every day. And, and you know, start up there with Jesus and just read the gospel over and over again, four or five times. Just, ah, that's a great place to start, okay? As you read the word and as you pray in the Holy Ghost and as you just ask for the Holy Spirit to flow to your life, that stuff's going to get washed away from you. But that's the decision. I don't want those memories in my mind anymore. I don't want that stuff in my brain anymore. You get it cleaned out by washing with the water of the word. Now, people tell me that girls have just as much trouble with pornography as boys these days. You know, I know it's a different world than when I was young. But ladies, the same thing. Washing with the water of the word. Holy Ghost and the word. Read the word. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Ask for the Holy Ghost to flow to your life. 
Cleanse yourself from everything that defiles your spirit. Now, notice, it, it, it takes a couple of things here. This deals with separation from new. This deals with clean up the past. Okay. Since we have these promises, we have promises that God would dwell among us, walk among us, be a father to us, we'll be his sons and daughters. Cleanse ourselves. Wash this stuff away from our lives. That which affects the body and that which affects the spirit. Bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Beautiful truth. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some more time in worship.
to be back with you for Isaiah for our Old Testament portion of the daily devotions. And today we start with Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 19, which is a perfect place to start as we set up Isaiah chapter 9. And I know we're so excited to get to Isaiah chapter 9, because it's one of the most profound messianic passages ever on any passage of anywhere in the Bible. It's just beautiful. And so this, at the end of chapter 8, sets it up. You have to remember that when the Bible was written, there were no, this is chapter such and such, verse such and such. All of that came later. It just flows from one into the other. So, of course, we start with a few verses behind chapter 9, to set it up. So starting in chapter 8, verse 19 of Isaiah. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, <laughs> should not a people inquire of their God? Oh, we could stop there and we could talk about that for a long time, but of course we shouldn't because we have to cover several chapters. But what a question. Should not a people inquire of their God? When you have things that are coming against you in your life, should you not inquire of your God? Should you not pray? Should you not lift those things to the Lord? Say, Lord, here's this problem. Here, I'm giving it to you. I'm laying it out before you, Lord. Would you guide me? Would you show me what to do with this? That was the question. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it's because they have no dawn. Another translation, they have no light of dawn. If people will not speak from the word of God, there's no light in them. And you will hear an awful lot of people who even get on the airwaves and get on YouTube or whatever, and they speak, and it sounds so profound, and it sounds so intelligent, but unless it is from the Word of God, it has no light. We always have to remember that, and no matter what people say to us, we have a responsibility to go back to the Word of God and check it with the Word of God. If they will not speak according to this Word, it is because they have no dawn. There's no light bursting out to give light, to give life, to give a new day, a new hope for people. It's just dead without that. Okay, 
they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. Who will? These people who don't want to inquire of God. It's not going to end well for them. And then when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. Oh, that sounds so familiar, doesn't it? The people who don't want to listen and you tell them, no, you really don't want to marry that unbeliever boy. You really don't want to marry that unbeliever boy. You really don't want to get involved with your life with that guy. You will not be having a good ending with this. Oh, no, they're determined. And then give it three or four years and two or three kids later, and the guy is gone and off he is with another woman. And here they are complaining against God and you just want to go. Oh, exactly, exactly, exactly what this scripture says. And then when they've got problems, when they're hungry, they're enraged and they speak contemptuously against their king and against their God and turn their faces upward and they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, gloom of anguish. How powerful is that statement? and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But, now we're starting in verse 9, but remember, when this is written, there are no neat chapter divisions. It's just written as in a scroll. Gloom of anguish, and they'll be thrust into thick darkness, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Remember, if they don't speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. And now, because of this glorious new day that he's bringing out of Galilee, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, for the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling, tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For or because, why all this turnaround? Why walking in darkness and the gloom of anguish? Why does that get turned into light and a glorious way by the sea? Why this light has dawned? Because... To us, a child is born, for to us, a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord, for the light that is shone abroad in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that we don't walk in darkness, that we don't grope our way through this world, wondering which way to go, what to do, what is the best way, what is the right way. But thank you, Jesus, that we have the light that is because to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Thank you, Lord, for our salvation, which is so freely given by the Father in heaven. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What do I do? Where do I go? You have a wonderful counselor. Ask him. Shall a people not inquire of their God? Ask him. He's a wonderful counselor. He knows what you should do. He knows the way that you should take the path that your feet should walk on, the, the things that your hands will find to do. He knows, and he's your wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In this day, the doctors tell us that emergency rooms are filled with people who are just panicked, just panic. They're so full of fear. It's causing problems in their body just because they're so full of fear. They don't know, what I might get sick. And they end up in emergency, and it's panic. One time, I was in the hospital a few years ago, and Brother John was with me there with Pastor. They were visiting me and praying for me. And Brother John said, because I said, oh, it's scary when your heart just jumps around all over the place. And Brother John said, Jesus doesn't want you to have fear. Jesus wants you to be at peace. And so I've learned, he is my peace, who has broken down every wall. He is peace to me. And so I say, he is my healer. He is my peace. He is my healer. He is my peace. He is the prince of peace. He rules peace. And he says, peace, you need to just flood all over this child of yours right now. You need to just peace well up within this child of yours and let there be no fear. Praise God, he is our prince of peace and of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. He doesn't run out of peace. I already gave my last peace to sister so-and-so. I should have some more by next Tuesday. <laughs> peace is yours. The prince of peace rising up within you. He is your healer. He is your peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore, for the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. Now, starting in verse 8, we're going to have a section that teaches us, so I'm just going to read through it, but it really teaches us to measure by God's standards. So, it's a pivotal point because before this, Assyria was looked at as, 
oh, Assyria, that nation, it's so powerful, it's so big and gigantic, and it has so much authority in this earth among the nations, and it's so powerful. And after this, it's like a pivotal point in this next couple of chapters, where after this, Assyria will simply be seen as a tool in God's hands, and it will be judged by the same standards as any other nation in the world is judged. And it kind of makes me think, you know how some people are starstruck? They think, oh, this, this star, this TV star, this movie star, <laughs> this uh, Instagram star, this whatever. Oh, people get starstruck, which they shouldn't. Hello, we are all eye to eye equal with each other in this world. We're all under God Every man is our equal. But some people get nation struck. Oh, this nation. Oh, that nation. If I could just go there, I'll have a better life. Oh, that nation. It's so powerful. You know, we shouldn't be star struck and we shouldn't be nation struck. We should be God struck. <laughs> we should just be amazed and stand in awe at the power and majesty of our God. Well, this is what we're kind of going to look at as we just read through the next portion. The Lord has sent a word against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel. So all the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and in arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen and we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down and we will put cedars in their place. There's some pride going on there. But the Lord raises the adversaries of Rezin against him and stirs up his enemies. The Syrians on the east and the Philistines on the west devout Israel with open mouth. For all this his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. The people did not turn to him who struck them nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. So the Lord cut off from Israel head and tail, palm branch and reed in one day. The elder and honored man is the head, and the prophet who teaches lies is the tail. For those who guide this people have been leading them astray. Did you know that you have to be careful who you follow? And I would say, especially in this day and age, because it's not just the preacher who visits town. But it's so easy to look at different preachers on television. And oh my goodness, nowadays, everybody's on YouTube, everybody's on the internet in some way. And people are just shopping around. Oh, I'll listen to this preacher. I'll listen to that preacher. You have to be careful where who you are listening to and who you are getting your mind filled with their thoughts and their teaching. We have some responsibility for that. But those who are guided by them are swallowed up. So if you don't want to get swallowed up, pay attention to who you're listening to. Therefore, the Lord does not rejoice over their young men and has no compassion on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all this, his anger is not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. For wickedness burns like a fire, it consumes briars and thorns, it kindles the thickets of the forest, and they roll upward in a column of smoke. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is scorched, and the people are like fuel for the fire, no one spares another. They slice meat on the right, but they're still hungry, they devour on the left, but are not satisfied. 
Each devours the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh devours Ephraim. Ephraim devours Manasseh. Together, they are against Judah. For all this, his anger has not turned away. His hand is stretched out still. Chapter 10. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees. Hmm, that is a very good statement, which we could write on the sky. We could write in the, in the books of any nation. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice, to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. Theme, what's one of the major themes in Isaiah? Social justice, how we treat one another, especially the downtrodden. What will you do on the day of punishment, in the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help, and where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Woe to Assyria! The rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my fury. Against a godless nation I send him, and against the people of my wrath I command him to take spoil and to seize plunder, to tread them down like the mire of the street. But he does not so intend, and his heart does not so think. But it is in his heart to destroy, to cut off nations, not a few. For he says, Are not my commanders all kings? Is not Kalno like Carchemish? Is not Hamath like Arpad? Is not Samaria like Damascus? As my hand has reached to the kingdoms of the idols whose carved images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her idols as I've done to Samaria and her images? Equal, equal judgment, equal standards in the eyes of the Lord. When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion, and on Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. For he says, by the strength of my hand, I have done it. And by my wisdom, for I have understanding, I remove the boundaries of people and plunder their treasuries. Like a bull, I bring down those who sit on thrones. My hand has found like a nest the wealth of the peoples, and as one gathers eggs that have been forsaken, so I have gathered all the earth, and there was none that moved a wing or opened the mouth or chirped. Shall the axe boast over him who hews with it? How God is saying to Assyria. Or shall the saw magnify itself against him who wields it? It's kind of like that passage shall the clay tell the potter what are you doing with me as if a rod should wield him who lifts it like you know what they say the tail wagging the dog or as if a staff should lift him who is not wood therefore the lord god of hosts will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors and under his glory a burning will be kindled like the burning of fire the light of Israel will become a fire and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. The glory of his forest and of his fruitful land, the Lord will destroy both soul and body, and it will be as when a, wick, a sick man wastes away. The remnant of the trees of his forest will be so few 
that a child can write them down. That's the end of our Isaiah passage for today. But in the coming days, oh, there are some passages that are so incredible that we're going to be reading together. Well, it's over the weekend. <laughs> so you, I'll, I'll try to review you a little bit on Monday as we get back into this devotional and we start reading ahead in the chapters of Isaiah. God bless you as you understand his word.